Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, good morning. So can you take me through this as, as somebody who's, I mean, in the heat of the battle perhaps, and I know you're the co-host of uh, laws, uh, Law Moms Out Loud, a podcast and YouTube page devoted to helping female lawyers who want to have a successful career. And so you're empowering them. And you're also a, a, a very busy woman juggling, <laughs> <laughs> juggling family life and your law life and your podcast and all that you do. Take me through it. Give us a, a picture, if you would, Kate, of what's going on there in Texas where you are at the border. Sure. And, you know, I want to respond sort of to some of the stuff that you talked about, because I think it's so important to to distinguish asylum seekers along the southern border from, you know, drug trafficking, cartels, human trafficking, all of which are very serious issues of concern. But that is not the same issue as migrants who are seeking asylum. And I'm speaking from, you know, my experience in Texas working with thousands of migrants over the last 15 years. Um, the people who are at the southern border asking for protection are, you know, many of them are families with children and they've come from places, some of them all over the globe, but, you know, a lot of them are from Venezuela where there's a lot of political um, persecution going on in Cuba equally, or in the Northern Triangle of Central America, like Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. These are people who have fled the very violence of which you speak. So, you know, for example, in, in Honduras, young children are the most vulnerable to the gangs. The boys, once they come of age, are expected to join gangs. The girls are, you know, chosen as sexual property of gang members. And the, the government is often corrupt and unable to respond. And so desperate people flee their homes and they come to our borders and ask for help. Um, and, and that is a different issue. They are fleeing the same violence and criminal activity that of which you speak. But to specifically what's happening legally right now is that we went from a period of time for about 20 years, pre-COVID, pre-Trump, pre-Title 42, where an asylum seeker could come to the border and say, I'm afraid of returning to my country and I need asylum. And we would detain them temporarily and put them through what's called a credible fear interview process. And if they qualified, they would be allowed into the country to prepare for their final hearing. If they didn't qualify at that point, they would be deported. Um, and that was a very, it was a functioning system. Now, were there issues with it and things we could tweak? Absolutely. But it worked. Then when we shut the border down under Title 42, we just completely blocked any opportunity for any asylum seeker to even ask for asylum, whether or not they were qualified. And so that created this population of desperate migrants. So by, what Biden did was sort of a split 
policy where he said, um, number one, I'm going to implement a transit ban that says that anybody who's asking for asylum in the U.S. needs to apply for asylum through the countries they travel. And number two, if they enter the country um, without first registering under this CBP-1 app that we've launched, then we're going to um, deem them ineligible for asylum. So those were the sort of restriction policies that he had. And then he had a couple of policies to sort of um, alleviate the issue, which was a parole program for people from certain countries um, and um, things of those nature. So what happened in court this week was that a federal judge said President Biden doesn't have the authority to implement asylum restrictions in the way that he did, that has to be handled through Congress, which is what the law says. And so the judge, uh, the judge was just following the law, saying it has to go to Congress. And is that what your your point is? That's right. Yeah. And and ultimately, I think in the bigger picture of all of this, talking about why this matters to all of us. I mean, southern border is is an issue of course, um, and, and fixing the asylum policies to go back to where we were is one of the major things that we can do to solve this problem. The other major thing that needs to happen is that Congress needs to pass immigration reform that reflects the needs of our economy because we have an aging economy. We have a need for immigrant labor, a desperate need actually, and it's growing because for the first time next year in our country, we're going to have more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 15 for the first time in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this real need in our economy for immigrant labor, and yet we don't have a legal system that reflects that. And so it just creates this sort of like um, juxtaposition of the need and the jobs versus the laws not talking to each other creates even more chaos and problems. And we really need to hold Congress accountable. But part of the problem is that the more that we make this immigration a bad word Mm -hmm. or we conflate criminal gang activity with immigration, that means that it becomes this third rail hot button issue that our, our, you know, conservative Republican politicians won't even touch because anything positive on immigration equals bad, dangerous, and wrong. And that's not the reality. So I think it's incumbent upon us to to speak truthfully about the fact that immigration is good. It's positive. It's what this country is about. It's what we need. And and, and until we start speaking that way, we're going to continue to see Congress too afraid to do anything, you know, that we need them to do. Yeah, and I think even if you look, Kate, at the Obama administration, you see the evolution of what happened. Initially, during the Obama administration, it was a more open situation. And I think under the Obama administration, it was evolving. And they realized then, uh uh-oh, we have a problem here because of the lack of policy. And so that's what I see out of it. I think that you're right in the sense that in society and in Congress, it's all about the extremes and nobody's able to come together and have a conversation because both sides mm-hmm. of the aisle fundraise off of this. So mm-hmm. on one side, you have one group saying, Oh, you know, talking about, yes, that there are there criminals like in sheep's clothing who are coming over and human trafficking and drug trafficking, child sex trafficking, all of this. Yeah. That's happening, but there are a lot of good people. I have friends, Kate, who under the FEMA umbrella, in other words, they work uh, in different jobs, but they've gone to the border 
and worked for months at a time. And they've told me, Dawn, you know, especially you mentioned the groups that you mentioned, the family groups, they said they come with their Bible and their rosary and their family. And these Mm -hmm. are beautiful people who are living in a government where they're in danger, they're oppressed and suppressed, and they, they are legitimate asylum seekers. We just need to have really open up the conversation and not allow this to be so politicized. Uh, yes, I agree completely. And keeping in mind, too, I mean, you know, just watching the people that go through this process of coming to the border and, you know, I've gone and visited and um, the people who are sort of living in these, you know, tent encampments, it's, it is not what someone would do if they were in power or if they were a part of a drug, drug ring or a criminal gang or a cartel. Um, it is truly the desperate uh, people who are fleeing danger. And, and in my experience working with these people, um, you know, what it takes as, a, as an individual, as a parent, to get yourself out of your home country all the way to, you know, the mm-hmm. U.S. border, for example, um, and go through all the trials and tribulations that they do, the people who are able to do that are so tenacious and resourceful mm-hmm. um, and they persevere. And the the ones that I have known personally have been some of the most impressive people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and in terms of like, as a nation, who do we want here? Mm-hmm. To me, it's those people. It's people like that who will do whatever it takes to keep themselves and their family safe. You know, and it's the, the, the cartels, they're the, they seize upon these migrants. I mean, I work with a nonprofit and we actually did a study um, the summer before last, of, around it was around 900 families that we worked with, and half of them had been the victims of kidnapping or attempted kidnapping by these cartels while they were in Mexico. It's just so routine. They get picked up and held for ransom, and all sorts of bad things happen. So um, we do need, uh, you know, a, we need a strong border. We need border enforcement. We need laws. We need to stop drug trafficking trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, you know, we have a hundred billion dollar Department of Homeland Security budget. We have a lot of resources at the border. Um, but we also need to recognize that asylum seekers need a way to be able to be screened and processed so that if they qualify, we let them in. And that's what we failed to do over the last three years. And so I think it would be as simple as going back to a commitment to provide screening um, to asylum seekers, and that would actually calm things down quite a bit. And I think that's why we've seen some of the numbers falling lately mm-hmm. is because we had some version of that. It's not complete, but we have some version of a mechanism for asylum seekers to finally seek asylum in the United States. Um, and so when that when they have that option, the border crossings go down. You know, so it's actually it's it's counterintuitive that what we need to do is expand access to asylum to reduce border crossings and chaos at the border. And can you tell me a little bit about you mentioned tech, the use of technology such as an app that's easy to use and I'm assuming that it's in multiple languages. But can you expound on that a little bit, Kate? Yeah, it's come under a lot of fire. The app is called CBP One, and it's an app where people, you know, they upload a photo and they enter in their information, and this allows the government to do background checks and vetting of people before they come in. Um, it's really challenging for people, obviously, who are living 
you know, in a, in a tent in some camp to have a phone or electricity. Um, many of them don't, you know, may, may not even read or write in their own language, or there's been problems like if they are dark skinned, the app doesn't recognize their features. So there's lots of problems with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way that it's currently functioning, we're seeing that once someone registers for an appointment, it's taking about two months for them to be able to actually get an appointment to be screened for asylum, which in my opinion is way too long when you're talking about refugees essentially in Mexico. They're not in their home country um, and they need to be, we could, you know, this is the United States of America. We have a hundred billion dollar budget at the border. We could absolutely, if we cared enough uh, to focus on speeding up these screening and doing them in a dignified and, and fast way, we could make that happen. Uh, but again, this is one of those things where it's like, it, if we see President Biden or any sort of leader or legislator do pro-positive immigration stuff, where it's like, let's give more, um, you know, sort of resources, maybe even food, maybe shelter, maybe medical care to migrants, that comes at with such vicious blowback. Um, but, but in reality, those types of, of programs end up soothing and calming what we see at the border. They are the most impactful rather than harsh penalties and, you know, razor wire and buoys like we're seeing Greg Abbott put into place. Those have the actual, they have the opposite intended effect. And I wish that's what people could understand. Yeah, so what's the reaction? You know, you're in Texas there, and we're in Philadelphia, and we're hearing about these buoys with razor wire. To me, it's a symptom of a greater problem in the sense that, um, and I and I, I have friends who've told me it just forces people to swim in, in deeper waters, and, and mm-hmm. um, I have friends who've helped pull bodies of people out of the Rio Grande who didn't, Grand who didn't make it, and I know that uh, for anybody involved in that situation right there, it's just a hot mess. But what's your take as somebody who's who's in Texas as you see this battle going on? Well, I've seen a lot of horrific things in my sort of tenure helping asylum seekers. You know, my first clients when I was in law school, uh, they had a little baby who was wearing a prison uniform, you know, and the mother asked me if I'd take her with me and keep her until they could get out. You know, that was my entry into this, yeah. this work. And I've I've been here through all of the, you know, the family separations and the unaccompanied kids that got lost in 2021. Um, but I would put these buoys, these razor, this razor wire and these buoys in the top five, you know, horrific things that I've seen because they are, you know, they're drowning their death devices. That is what these devices are. They're they're covered in razor wire. They have netting below them so that migrants cannot get through, but they don't know, right? Someone crossing and seeing these buoys, they don't know that there's razor wire and nets on these. And so they are death devices and there are whistleblower reports from inside the agency of people who um, agents have said this has gone too far i have been ordered to push people back in the river children mothers you know i've seen people caught in this razor wire and it's 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 egregious it is a, it's absolutely um it shocks the conscience but i would say that you know really what's happening this goes back to this conversation about um, you know, immigration equals bad because what happens is Greg Abbott and his followers, um, you know, are very excited about this. Greg Abbott is getting so much political attention and donations because of his actions. Meanwhile, he's spending 
$10 billion of Texas taxpayer money and more now defending himself in this lawsuit. Um, and, and all of his efforts have accounted for less than 1% of the border apprehensions. So not even, it, like, it's harmful, it harms the environment, it's a humanitarian crisis, and it doesn't even make a dent. You know, so I'm very, very upset um, seeing what my, uh, I say my because I have to, he's my governor, is doing in Texas. Uh, it's so upsetting um, on every level, you know, um, if to anyone, I think who's actually paying attention. Yeah. I mean, I think, unfortunately you guys are right there on the, on the front of the battle lines. And I think for a lot of people, they, they may support, they support it in the sense that they feel like, why should they have to have the brunt of it with people being inundated with people in their backyards and so on and so forth. So to me, I think, I'm not right there, and I can see what you're saying as far as being horrified by some of what you're seeing, but ultimately, it's it's a symptom of a greater problem, which, as you said, is more than a decade of you know just failed policies. I did want to ask you about um, that story that there were some 85,000 missing or unaccounted for children that had crossed the border, and I know that came up at some committee hearings in Congress. Do you know much about that as far as... Oh, yeah, I can speak to that. I can speak to that. Mm -hmm, I can. Um, But can I say one more thing about the previous point and the buoys and the razor wire? I, you know, I've studied U.S. immigration um, historically, and I've looked at a lot of political cartoons. And there are cartoons from the 1700s and the 1800s that talk about drowning um, Swedish, Italian... Jewish, Irish, Catholic migrants in the river. They actually draw them as sort of like rodents coming across in these cartoons, show how to dispose of them, putting them in cages and drowning them in the river. Um, and I just have to, I just have to point out that this is, you know, we've, we've had this before. And of course, all of the people listening who are, they may be Irish, Italian, Jewish, you know, et cetera, descent thinking, gosh, they said that about my own. People, my own ancestors, and here we are saying it again. So it's just, it's worth it to note that this is just something that we do um, historically in our nation. And, and you know, his, history tells us that we will lament these actions in the future. Um, and so I just I had to say that part. But to but your do, point I mean, about... Kate, Kate, do you, th- I mean, do you think that, that your governor, Abbott, wants to drown people? I mean, I agree with you that whoever advised them to do that, it, it just, to me, it was, it's a horrible idea. It's better to have, I don't know, people, you know, in the river maybe with signs saying, don't come, you know, don't come over, whatever. But I mean, is that what you, you believe that your governor want, want, genuinely wants, intends? I don't to- know about Abbott, but I, I certainly think that there are followers of Abbott who would not care if migrants drowned in the river. God. You know, based on the the comments that I get on my videos and, you know, I that sort of I get a lot of hate mail for doing the work that I do and I do think that there are people out there um who and would not care. What do your clients what do they think about all of this? I mean, do they feel that they're hated by some and not by others? Some of the people, yes. the asylum seekers. 
Absolutely, they feel it. They feel the hatred. It was really hard on the immigrant population during the Trump administration, too, because it was like all of a sudden it was okay to say, you know, say out loud uh, what people thought. And um, it's it's very traumatic. I, you know, I have a, a lot of the people that I work with are immigrants themselves or their parents are immigrants. You know, they all have a personal mm-hmm. connection to the mission and the work that we do. And it's devastating for them to hear people talk the way that they do, you know, about their own parents or their, their family members, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, um, it's very hard for people. Um, especially when, like we said, these are people who have done nothing except sought safety and a better life for their families. And why wouldn't any of us do that? Um, did you have a comment about the, the kids? Is there an update on the 85,000 kids that were, some people said missing or just unaccounted for. Yeah, I think the reporting's been a little off on that. So basically what we're talking about is the unaccompanied migrant kids. And we had an uptick in those when Biden lifted Title 42, the border closure, but only for children. So that happened in 2021. And then what we saw was a lot of kids coming over alone. It was a it was bad, bad decision, bad situation. And a lot of those kids were released later to friends or family members after going through this process. And what they're talking about, these lost, and I say that in quotes, these lost children are children who have been released to someone in the United States. And I would say that the vast majority of those kiddos are fine. They're with their relatives. They're just not responding to requests you know, from the agency, because honestly, a lot of them had a really bad experience when they were detained. Those kiddos were not happy to be detained um, and not released to their families. I worked with a lot of them um, during that period of time. And so a lot of them are like, no, I'm not going to tell you exactly where I am or how I'm doing because you're not my friend. You know, Uh, I think that there are some, certainly some of these children were released to situations that didn't turn out to be the best for them. And so are are some of those kids, um, you know, lost or in danger probably, but I would say the vast majority are just fine and they're with their family or their friends and they're living their lives and they're just not, you know, responding to the request for information. Well, Kate, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Kate Lincoln Goldfinch there, who's the owner and CEO of her own law firm and expert on immigration law. Kate, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app, the biggest sports radio stations in the country, providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 